get up in a bath of ice I'm a victim of an organized You know it is true You know this time you're never gonna get it But you've already stole my heart Yeah, you ripped it and tore it apart you know Welcome to Cutthroat Queen's podcast where all of the Acorn squirrels bury and forget about rot, lonely and abandoned. We are here to take an open and honest look at all things indie horror. My name is Brett Mitchell-Kent, and I'm joined by the scratched DVD copy of the unreleased TV show, Real Housewives of Central Ohio, Chelsea Pumpkins. Hi! (laughs) Central Ohio. Yeah, it it was a good season, but nobody got to see it. Mm. Well, if anybody wants to watch a (laughs) skippy version of it, hit me up. That was um, an, an homage to Jolie. Ah, Jolie, come back. We miss you. <laughs> I'm drinking out of her aseptic and faintly sadistic mug right now. Oh, that was perfect. We just talked I about know. that. So funny. Beautiful artwork. Gorgeous. Gorgeous cover. So, Brett. Yes. What have you been what have you been consuming for horror lately? Oh, horror. Okay. So I thought you meant like consuming and I I made this like really good like dip yesterday. Oh, Tell so us good. about the dip. Let's hear that. it. So I got it on um, TikTok. Obviously, that's where all the best recipes come from nowadays. <laughs> and it was like, it was this is is vegan, and it was what are they called? Zucchini. So like zucchini and garlic, sauce like slow roasted in olive oil, and then you just make like a cashew cream and put it in there, and then you eat it with some crispy bread. Do you like puree the zucchini? No, you cut them up into little chunks and then they like they caramelize and you just like smush Ooh. them. So they they caramelize enough, caramelize. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. So anyway, what did you what did you put it on? <laughs> just literally took like crusty crispy bread and just dunked it and like just ate it <laughs> like that. Jason, that sounds really good. Scared it and then we made something separate for the kids because Ashlyn, it was funny. She saw the ingredients and she's like, I don't want to eat that. And I won't make, Oh, there's butter beans in it. That's the other thing. You pour butter beans into it and there's butter beans in it. And so she was like, nah, so we let him eat something different, but I let her try a bite and she's like, no, I don't like this. And then she kept getting pieces of bread and coming by and like dipping it and eating it and talking about how she didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) That's kids. Sounds great. An endorsement for the dev. We like it. Um, but, uh, what have I been consuming? So I've, I've been reading quite a bit of like self-published horror and, and obviously indie horror, but the one thing that I've been dying to talk about, and it's perfect because Elton is having, oh, sorry, we should probably address the fact that Elton's out here. Elton right now is having his, like some remodeling done in his house. So he couldn't join us and we're cutting it very close. Today's the 29th and this is supposed to post like what, two days from now. So, uh, um, yeah, we'll see. So. <laughs> um, but Ellen did join us for the interview on the panel, so yeah. you will be here. So I want to talk about life support by Elton because I haven't gotten a chance to. I don't want to do it like in front of him, obviously. So awkward. I'm, yeah, I'm, why no. would you want to compliment him? That <laughs> no, would be not, ridiculous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's not what I'm about to do for Elton. But so Elton, when you're editing, just skip all this. I don't want you to hear any compliments. But it is his debut novel and it is fucked for lack of a better word. I actually shared it with a friend and they got like partially into it and they texted me and they're like, why? Like, what did you, let <laughs> me read this is grotesque. And I'm like, yeah, keep going. 
And the reason that, like, I, I told her to keep going isn't because it stays grotesque, but because it, like, it evolves into something that you don't expect. So it starts out as a life support, a life support group of people that all have, like, weird illnesses. And I, I don't, I shouldn't say weird, but I think, like, they're just uncommon things. Like, one of them has the Alice in Wonderland syndrome. One of them thinks he's dead. Uh, one of them has pica, like, severe pica where he'll eat anything which is one of the scenes and I'm like <laughs> facially cringing and <laughs> they cannot see me. <laughs> they all are in this life support group um and they start dying one by one and Ooh. as it evolves it, it starts out as just kind of like a a grotesque slasher mind fuck and then it it really changes course into this very surreal psychological thriller and it was absolutely amazing. And I'm not saying this because Elton is a friend of mine. Um, I will be honest with my friends. If I'm not like a huge fan of their work, I was a huge fan of this one. It even knowing what it was about, I didn't expect it. It was so well plotted that I I had to like take a step back and go like, what? the hell just happened at a couple of points because they were they were poignant they made sense and in the end there's there's a real message to be delivered and i don't want to ruin it but i'm telling everybody go get it it's on godless and it's on amazon and he actually did the cover for it himself yeah so he's so he's that guy's triple threat he's he's everything Yes. And, and since we didn't mention it um, yet in the episode, I'm assuming Elton also sings the music for our intro. So. Oh yeah, did you guys know? <laughs> in case so, you haven't heard, <laughs> it, it, it was just so good. I just loved it. It came out through D and T Publishing. Um, and there there's a cute little illustration in there done by some guy named Brett Mitchell Kent. Oh my god, <laughs> I didn't realize they included it in the book. That's I awesome. know, right? Isn't that cool? Aww. It's like in it's it's in the physical, like the the cover jacket thing. But I'm waiting for my signed copy from Elton before I read it. So yeah, I he's sending them to me, right? And then I'm shipping them out to everybody yes. in the Americas. I don't know. I I assume he's sent, he's shipped them already, but and then Probably also not. um a, a self published book that I read that I was very very pleasantly surprised by it. and it actually didn't just come out it was it's called risen it was a very pleasantly surprising self-published book by an author named tanya ransom and it it didn't release recently i think it released actually in like 2020 which was kind of an eh year to be releasing things because people were trying to conserve their money they were worried about the state of the economy and all of that um because but I was of, also doing way more reading in 2020 because oh, I, I was too. Yeah, was stuck at home. Yeah. <laughs> but the but I also was like playing Animal Crossing like crazy. So we, <gasps> we just me too. And I still play Animal Crossing. It's right here. I literally I log into it every day. Um, uh, we had to tangent. My husband had to uninstall Animal Crossing so he could fit Zelda, and so. He's been and now I don't have Animal Crossing until he's done with that. But I haven't played in a while, so it's okay. But you better back that up because those are grounds for the D word. Drop it's kick. backed up. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's backed up. Although it would be like a little bit freeing to start over. I would never want to. I am so 
attached. I know. I, I would never do it on my own, but like if it happened. Did I even show you that I, I 3D printed all of the characters for my villain? What? Dude, I'm so creepy. I have all these 3D printed. No, I'm so that I'm mad. Why? I need you to print me my villagers. I will if you send them to me. Um, so God. like these are I need to wait. Still, okay, like, who is your favorite villager and who's your least favorite one on your own island? On my own island, my favorite is Phil. So like Phil is my favorite villager, point blank. He's a quail. Um, but he he's just to be honest, he's my best friend in regular life too. And then <laughs> my least favorite villager. In my town is this monkey guy, and I, I actually don't even remember his name. I've been trying to get him gone. Flip, maybe. Oh. He's a monkey. I didn't even print him. <laughs> He's not here for a long <laughs> so. He's not here for a long time. So, Do you yeah, ever sorry. go around and you hit them with your net? I only flip. Um, I would never hit the rest of them because I, I really like most of the rest of them. But it just flip is just we just don't drive well, I guess. I don't know. Listen, I get it. Um, oh, I had this like horrendous hippo. I once. have a hippo that I love right now though. Her name What's is her name? Biddy. Okay, it wasn't that one. Maybe her name was like Fiona. No, I don't know. I don't remember her name. I didn't like her at all. I also have Kit, which is a kangaroo. Mm-hmm. And they're like the kangaroos are kind of rare, I think, but she's so fucking boring. And I'm like, but at this point, she's been there so long. So I'm like, well, now I need to like get your picture. I have all of it before I kick you out. Fun story about Kit. I, I wonder if Elton's going to keep this. You better fucking keep this. This is important. Keep it in. This is, this is great. We're going <laughs> to. So, so fun story about all Kit. The Animal Crossing people. I, I've been playing Animal Crossing since I was a kid, like young. Um, I started mm-hmm. with GameCube and then in Wild World, which is the Nintendo DS version. It was so much harder to find villagers and get villagers. It was harder to get them out. It was harder to get them in. You didn't get any warning when they moved out. They just did it. So they like you had oh, to catch them with their boxes packed and they would go. I wanted Kit more than anything in my village. And I never ended up getting her because there were only a few kangaroos at that point. I think there was Kit and Matilda and I didn't like Matilda. I wanted Kit so badly. Never got her. I still visit that town every once in a while. It's like 20 something years old. It's so old. Oh my God. But do you it, want her? I'll kick her out and you can take her. Oh, well, we'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll circle back. Um, I made her run a daycare on oh, my island. Yeah. You know, for all the children that show up and that doesn't yeah. happen. <laughs> I think my favorites are I love Henry the frog. He's on my island. And I also like Ike the bear. He's very gruff, but he's fun. Yeah. And I made him start. This <laughs> is so stupid. He calls me Peanut, which is what my dad calls me. <laughs> so whenever I visit him, he's like, hey, Peanut. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> we're just working through, you know, some <laughs> trauma in Animal Crossing. Oh. Um, Sorry. So, so, yeah. Anyway, how did we get here? I know. No. <laughs> bad things oh we were talking about what we did in 2020 yeah sorry and and tanya ransom was publishing books so good for her (laughs) he wasn't apparently playing animal crossing but tanya ransom book risen i love zombies overall as a genre i'll never get tired of it i adore zombies this one is a like a wholly unique take on zombies tanya ransom she took the whole you know voodoo aspect of the the south and wrapped it into the zombie lore that already exists but in it she kind of already she also answers a a question 
at least in, in her world building, like, are they conscious within the zombie? Like, is there a person within? Ooh. And unfortunately, everybody wants to know. <laughs> in the in hers, it's you know main plot point that yeah, and we're in the mind with that character. She has a very intelligent writing style, which is something that I we we all know that I talk about it all the time. It's like my favorite thing, and I don't know what. I consider intelligent writing. It's just what it is when I see it. I love it. <laughs> it was a great book. I recommend it. So check out Tanya Ransom, Risen. I think it's called something. It's got more than just Risen. It's like Risen uh, Horror Novella, I think is how it's in there. But we'll we'll pop a link to it. So I apologize for novella. The, yeah, Horror Thriller Novella. And it's Ooh. really, really good. So it sounds it. so good. Read it. Love it. Review it. And then rate, review, and subscribe. (laughs) So after our horrendous tangent, that was perfect. So Elton, don't cut it, please. Elton, do not cut it. Don't cut it. We love Animal Crossing. And we need (laughs) to find out who of our listeners also plays. So if you've made it this far through, um, tell us who your favorite villager is. Or your least favorite. Yeah. Talk shit about your least favorite villager. We're here for that. We're the cutthroat queens. Yeah, I'm gonna find out the name of that stupid hippo that I had, and we can. I wonder if it was her. hippo, like the one that's H I P P E A U X, because he's a no. douche. Yeah, um, no, I'm just gonna Google it. It was a girl. Oh, my least favorite was Leopold, a lion. I got him gone though. Um, okay, so Chelsea, what have you been reading? Um, so I actually was going to talk about a book that came out in 2020 as well, also self-published. Mm. Um. It's one of my favorite books, um, and I never really get to, like, bond with other people about it. Um, Anyway, it's called Subcutanean, and it's written by Aaron A. Reed, Um, but it's so unique because Aaron wrote, I don't want to do him a disservice here, but I'm going to describe it in my own words. (laughs) Um, he wrote this story with like tons and tons of different options and directions, but it's not a choose your own adventure. Um, but when you order a book from his website, he has this like generator that mixes it all up. Um, and you get your own unique seed number. Um, so every copy is a little bit different. Um, I think that there is an audiobook, maybe on Spotify. I should check that. We'll put it in the notes if it's there. Um, And then you can also buy copies on Amazon. So every copy on Amazon is the same. But I went to his site and got my own personal seed. And when I read it, I actually read it with the Howell Society. um, And everybody, like, we made, like, a whole spreadsheet of, like, different details that people had. Um, And it really, like, the different versions, I think, really affected how people liked it. Some people didn't like it at all. Um, I loved it so much that I recused myself from discussing because I was like, it was the point where I was like, nope, I will hear nothing bad about this because you know what I mean? Like sometimes a book is like that where I'm like, nope, I want to live in my bubble and just love this book. Um, But anyway, it's a queer story um, and it's very liminal and it has like weird architecture, architecture, um, but also like exploring like I don't know trauma might be an extreme categorization but at the same time I don't know what your copy would look like so um but it's just 
I love it. There's like just these really eerie scenes. Like there's like different timelines. So like people are communicating with other selves and like kind of different dimensions. And so because of you, obviously this, that's the reason I looked this one up as well and got it. Yeah. And my understanding of it was that like each copy is supposed to be portraying its own dimension. So the stories are different because there's different, you know, subtle variations between different dimensions. And I, with the the guests that are going to be on the show later, Chris and Tim, mm-hmm. uh, I compared my copy with their copies and they were like, just the first few pages were completely different. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. It, it was insane because we each got our own seed as well. Or, Oh, Tim has mine. Your seed. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. No. And this is funny. Cause like I said, like I'm obsessed with this book and I'm obsessed with my seed. And so lending that out is dangerous because I can never mm-hmm. get it back. Um, but um, Tim is right. He wants to write a liminal story. And so he was like, I need to study some liminal pieces. And I was like, well, you should read Subcutanea, but you should read my version because my version's perfect. Um, so I mailed it to him. And I was like, if you don't, I, there's like a note in the cover where I'm like, this needs to get back to this address. <laughs> like, <laughs> you will not keep this book I will hunt you down um but it's so so good it's like there's like doppelganger kind of stuff like body doubles and like just really cool twists and I just think the fact that everyone's copy is different is really really fun and I saw it compared to the back rooms a lot uh the back rooms is a like a dreamscape type liminal spaces thing where you go into the back rooms there's a bunch of different levels that just it's never ending. is it a game it's it's not. It's just kind of like a concept, I guess. It's from oh. like I, I it might be like a creepypasta type thing. But oh. this actually came first. So in in here it's called the basement, right? Yeah. The basement with capital B. And it's a similar concept to where this this basement just keeps going, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just read it. And it it was actually so good that we included it in a list that we compiled for the lineup which is a magazine tied to creepy crate because creepy crate reached out to us and we were really excited because the whole point of our show is let's get you know people's work in front of the masses and they have a a pretty good following and so we opted to do self-published books because the marketing for self-publishing is is definitely uh it's a an upward climb if you don't have yeah. the backing of a publisher, the following already existing, then it's going to be difficult. But self-published work is not worse. It kind of has a stigma attached to it that it's going to be lazily done. Uh, so we compiled yeah. 12 horror books that are fantastic, self-published, and we gave those over and we we were able to write an article for that, and it includes both Subcutanean and Risen by Tanya Ransom and uh, 10 other ones. And just check it out, the lineup. We posted it on our socials, and we got to receive a copy of Creepy Crate. A copy, is that what it's called? <laughs> a public um, a subscription a box? <laughs> a box of Creepy Crate. <laughs> it came with really neat things. So it, it came with a book. Um, the, the book was titled, I have not read the book yet. It, when it, we got the email, Brett was like, dibs, I'm getting the box. And we're like, okay. <laughs> so Brett got all the goodies. Um, but then we made him do all the hard work of making the article. So it's, it worked. 
<laughs> it was so much fun. I, I would definitely do it again because we got to do all the research for the, the books. We got to read books that we, that oh, and we deliberately didn't, um, it was just like novels or close to novels. Yes. So, um, it was hard cause there's a lot of anthologies and collections that we were like, Oh, that one, that one. And we're like, no, 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 we got to focus. So if you didn't yeah. make the list, we still love you. <laughs> yeah. And, and also if you didn't make the list, it, it wasn't because we liked one more than the other. We tried to keep it varied with yeah. the different types so there's like a cosmic on there there's a liminal spaces one there's a slasher there's a paranormal just to make sure that maybe there's something for everybody listed love that i was saying brett put a lot of thought into it worked really hard on um, we our list was he had to make a lot of cuts it wasn't easy so uh the book that came with the creepy crate was always the first to die by rj jacobs and it came with a bunch of cool little goodies we're going to post the pictures after but the reason i'm bringing this up is we get to offer you guys a discount code. So if you use the code CUTTHROAT5, numeric five, so CUTTHROAT5, you'll get $5 off your first subscription. And we'll post the pictures of all the cool little goodies that we got. My favorite thing was this Cabin in the Woods. What is this thing called? A Rubik's Cube mm -hmm. um, with the Cabin in the Woods film pictures on it. It's got a lot of cool little things there. Um I love that because of the scenes, like when they go down and they see all the boxes and they're like yes. coming out and moving like that reminds yeah. me of a Rubik's Cube. So. It, it, and I think it's like one of the images on the on the poster or the like DVD cover or something. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. And I, it it was just a really, really cool opportunity. We're really excited. And I definitely implore you to check out Creepy Crate. Use that five dollar discount code so that you can get a box of your own or lots of boxes of your own. Oh, what other kind of stuff did you get? Oh, I got a piranha-themed uh, little, it looks like a life preserver, but it's for like a beer or I guess a soda. Oh, for the pool? Yeah. And then a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Nope. What is that? Nope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Texas Friday Chainsaw. 13th. Camp Crystal Lake is Friday the 13th. Oh, no, this that's the other thing. I'm talking about the... the oh, shit. I'm sorry. I'm apron. sorry. Sorry. No. Yeah, but I mean... <laughs> The Camp Crystal Lake thing too, but the there was a fire day of the thirteenth. Oh, damn it! <laughs> there was a Texas Chainsaw Massacre apron that has a, a cute little chainsaw on it, and then there was also a bandana uh, that has Camp Crystal Lake on it. And it's funny because I was actually looking up bandanas with that on it because another guest that we had that we interviewed during the Pride Month episode, um. Lee J. Cross James, he had a Camp Crystal Lake bandana on his back wall or like a banner or something like that. And I love, yeah, slash, yeah. I love camp slashers. And so I, I was looking for one. And I That's one. funny. Thank you, Creepy Crate. Thanks, Creepy Crate. One person we wanted to include on the list, but ended up cutting. Um, Cassie Daly has a book called Brutal Hearts. Um, and I read that, I don't know, earlier this year. It doesn't matter when I read it. Um, but it's like nineties themed. It's about a group going hiking. Um, it was, it's really, really good. Um, and 
Brett wrote up a whole thing and then we realized she wasn't selling it anymore. So I was, we were like, damn it, we got to take this off. And then we posted the article and then she posted the book back for sale. So Cassie, I'm really, really, really sorry about the timing. Um, but if I could do like an honorable mention for Brutal Hearts by Cassie Daly, go buy that too. That's yeah, really we. And it, it's funny because we initially had, it was, a you know, Friday the 13th, 13 is a horror number. So we had 13 books, but then we're mm -hmm. like, oh crap, <laughs> Cassie doesn't have a book for sale. So anyway, you're lucky so number 13. Cassie, you're, yeah, you're lucky number 13, unlucky number 13, I guess, for us. Um, but that was another great read that I would put on any sort of self-published list. So, And the cover's gorgeous, too. So, oh, That beautiful rainbow aesthetic. Um, okay, so what's going on in this episode? We are talking about Howls from the Wreckage, which is an anthology of disaster horror. Um, it is published by Howl Society Press. And it was edited by Christopher O'Halloran. Um, so he's going to come on. Um, we also brought in Timaeus Bloom, who is one of the authors that was published in the anthology. And it's his debut short story. So that was really exciting. And um, really unique is Nick Cutter wrote the foreword. And we don't ever really talk to, well, we haven't yet talked to foreword cool. writers. And it's also kind of neat to kind of hear about how that happens because mm -hmm. I it's almost like not a not a best kept secret but it's really like kind of not talked about like the process of finding a forward writer and like what their job is and like um how to balance like wanting to do a good job but also stay honest and genuine um so I'm excited to talk to all of them um so yeah stay tuned and me and Elton will be on talking to them Hey, I'm Paula D. Ash, author of We Are Here to Hurt Each Other, and you are listening to Cutthroat Queen's podcast. I'm a victim of an organized You know it is true, you know this time you're never gonna get it. But you already stole my heart. Hey everybody, we are back with our guests. Um, we're here today to talk about howls from the wreckage, and we have Chris O'Halloran, Tim Bloom, and Nick Cutter with us to talk about different aspects of the anthology. Um, Christopher O'Halloran is a milk-slinging Canadian actor turned author with work published or forthcoming from Kaleidotrope, No Sleep Podcast, Tales to Terrify, Horror Library Volume 8, and others. He is president of the most active horror book club on the web, Howl Society, and editor of the anthology Howls from the Wreckage. Follow him on Twitter at Burgle Infernal or visit coauthor.ca for stories, reviews, and updates on upcoming novels. Welcome, Chris. Hello. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. We also have Nick Cutter with us. Nick Cutter is the author of the critically acclaimed national bestseller, The Troop, which is currently being developed for film with producer James Wan. That's very exciting. Congratulations. Yes. Um, as well as The Deep and Little Heaven. Nick Cutter is the pseudonym for Craig Davidson, whose much-lauded literary fiction includes Rust and Bone, The Saturday Night Ghost Club, and most recently, the short story collection Cascade. His story, Medium Tough, was selected by author Jennifer Egan for the Best American Short Stories 2014. He lives in Toronto, Canada. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chelsea. Great to be here. Um, and finally, we have Tim Bloom, last but not least. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
Tim Bloom is an ex-medievalist turned horror writer from Alabama with an interest in all things creepy and unsettling. His first written short, The Last Sermon of Brother Grime, is in the anthology House from the Wreckage, released this year. His next story is forthcoming on the Nightlight podcast. He also really loves Cherry Vanilla Coke Zero. I do. I do. Who doesn't? Thank you. <laughs> well, welcome, everybody. Um, and thanks for being here. We're really excited to talk about House from the Wreckage. Um, it's been a really fun anthology to work through. Yes, it's been amazing. Uh, everyone loves it. I love I love seeing the reactions to it. Yes, me too. It's been good. What was it like editing your debut anthology? How did you come to be the editor? And, and what was it like for you? Um, I think I just kind of weaseled my way into Howl Society uh, even before it had a name. I just, you know, I was, um, what's the word? Chronically online. <laughs> so <laughs> I would always be talking to people in the discord and eventually people got to know me so much that um, they uh, they wanted me as an admin. And then I just kind of uh, became uh, part of the the management for House Society. So then when it came time to pick an editor, I think everyone wanted to see uh, uh, where where my tastes would take us. It's been an amazing ride. Uh, I tried to get a bunch of stories that were really fun, really emotional, and um, would hit you hard in, in the best places. I know Chelsea has been getting great reviews just for the sheer you know, emotionality of it, which, I, which is, it, it warms my heart. It warms your heart before it breaks it. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you talk to us like super briefly about Howl Society and also the slush process for this anthology, which is a little bit different than normal? Yeah, Howl Society is a horror-based book club that started during uh, the lockdown of 2020. Uh, it's uh, an online book club. We usually do one book a week, and every year we um, put together an anthology, which kind of started, the first one was just, I think it was 14 stories, and we were just sick of always getting rejected, as every author does, and uh, we decided to you know, throw something together. Since then, it's been a little bit more structured. We've gotten more members. So the slush process has had to uh, take effect where we choose from about 50 stories what's going to be included, which is it's easier for an editor to have such a small slush pile. But at the same time, the quality is just tremendous because they're all passionate. They're all coming to Howl Society usually as readers, and they're not just you know looking to get their, their name and lights they're looking to uh, spread the passion of yeah. horror literature. Speak for yourself, Chris. <laughs> I joined for my name. And my, <laughs> I want my name in lights. <laughs> um, she literally has it spelled out on LEDs. <laughs> I, I want to be sold in Costco. I want to be sold in Walmart. I want to oh, be sold wow. in airports. I mean, One if you day. want, I can bring this to Costco and like try to sell it outside. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure if you do like a, a buy one, get one gun free in Walmart, you should be fine. <laughs> They're in Canada. Canada. They don't have yeah. the same problems that we have. Oh, no, going. they don't. That's, <laughs> That's why the Canadians are lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Ellen. Do you have the, the, the slush pile that all comes from readers from the Howl Society? Yes. Uh, we, we did have a few invites, though. Yeah, we had yes. Cassandra Kaw, we had Mike Adamson, we had LP Hernandez. Uh, we had a few that fell through, but you know that's always going to happen. That's always the case. Writers are notoriously busy, but we had a great group. 
see the good thing about this is like i know a lot of the writers throughout the the toc and i didn't actually realize that the invites were invites i thought they were just members of howls because we are such a good community that yeah. we all kind of gel together and it, it was yeah. perfect it was and really, these, really good. the invites are all people who come in for a q a or they're, they're, they have a connection with Howls in some way. So it's not just random people. We have that relationship already. Yeah. That's and a so really what, nice way of doing that. It, what was the, the, the best thing about doing the, the editing process and what was the worst? I think the best thing was just getting to read like 40 or 50 amazing stories. It's like I got the deluxe edition of the anthology. I got to see it all. You know, whoever buys the anthology, they get 20 stories, but really really there were some amazing ones in there and that's probably the hardest part was having to cut some and pick some and you know say no to stories that i really really adored where do we pick up the deluxe edition where is that the director's cut <laughs> the director's cut with all 50 stories <laughs> yeah that's just in his inbox <laughs> okay. yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna print it out and i'm gonna okay. staple it together all right send me a galley <laughs> I was just about to ask you, is there anything terrible that you just wouldn't have published? But I'm not going to ask that. I'm going to cut this back. Ellen, you are spicy tonight. No, I am a spicy boy. I'm sorry. All right. What's the worst part? What was the worst part of editing, Chris? Uh, Besides cutting the stories, I think, um, you know what? I I really didn't have a bad part of the process. I mean, there was some drama behind the scenes. Like there was... (gasps) Of course, there's going to be, you know, uh, people butting heads, but all in all, it was, you know, it was really great. And I was, um, my wife was pregnant at the time. Uh, She gave birth to a baby boy on April 28th. And then June 15th, we released the book. So uh, throughout the whole process of getting this thing published, it was um, easy to keep perspective, you know. Art, art is important, but when you got a baby coming, it's like, okay, all this drama doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. And at the end of the day, uh, despite everything, we came out with three uh, covers that are beautiful and I'm a product that I'm super, super proud of. It is a really and gorgeous thus book. You should be. It's amazing. Thank you. And congratulations on the human baby as well as the book. Baby. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. He's great. <laughs> I was about to say, we love human babies here. That's not something you say. Congratulations on the say. human baby, Chris. <laughs> no, the books are gorgeous. I've been really enjoying the um, internal illustrations. I like typically enjoy reading Kindle versions of books. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't want to say better, but it's just more convenient for me. Like I like it reading is. them in bed because they're backlit and I just close it when I'm done. And like, I don't have to flip the pages and yep. um, listen to how spoiled and futuristic <laughs> we all sound. Um, I mean, you were I've... talking. It was just you. I didn't say anything. <laughs> you all sound this way. I didn't say anything. <laughs> I'm pulling you in with me, Tim. You're right under the bus. Um, but I have been really enjoying flipping through the um hardcover of this like the details in it are really unmatched like even the little paper clips and yeah oh when i saw it and stuff is really cool yeah molly she designed it uh, molly halstead and it's just she she's like a wizard she's amazing mm. yes she's i've never seen anything like this in an anthology no i think the only thing i've i've seen that's, that's got like a similar aesthetic is is tj price's 
disappearance of, of Tom Nero, oh, where right. he, he mm. purposefully meant to do sort of doodles and 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 clips and stuff in 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 the in the in the margins. But this is incredibly impressive. Mm. It must have been really difficult to to format that, and and it's just it's such a testament to the book that it's it's so well done. Thank you. Shout out to M. Halstead. Yes. What about the theme of disaster horror enticed you, Chris? Um, I think it's an extension of what draws me to horror to begin with. It, uh, horror, I come to horror because it's like the highest stakes. It's, you know, life or death. It's, you know, endless torment or, you know, saving someone you love. Like the stakes are never higher. So disaster horror kind of takes that to the next level. Um, you watch movies like the day after tomorrow or, and you know, anything like that. And it's just, it gets your blood pumping. So to, to mix, mix that with horror was just like, I, I, I was blown away by these stories. The creativity wasn't, it was insane. I was expecting it to be like full of shipwrecks and, uh, and car crashes, but it was not. Yeah. There's a very huge range of, of subject matters and it's, it's very impressive is oh yeah a ship story in the yeah. book at all yeah sounded like you said shit story <laughs> uh, no there's well, none of those oh okay i don't know if i remember a story that was on a ship detritus it, takes place on a ship oh, 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 oh yes. that's right that's right yes, yes, yes. um and there's a spaceship yeah it's ryan Marie that. Ketterer. that is true mm-hmm. but it doesn't take place that's on true. the spaceship Wow, Tim, really, really coming for me. Oh my God. You just, yeah. <laughs> so, um, <thank> yeah. <laughs> so, one unique thing about this episode is we don't often get to chat with an editor and their forward writer. Um, I think in a lot of cases, editors never even meet their forward writers. It's like um, a really cool kind of pay it forward attitude in horror, at least from my, from my experience. Um, so, we have Nick here um, with Chris. So, I kind of wanted to ask Chris first, um, why did you pick Nick and how did that process go from your, on your side? And then I'm going to ask Nick how it went on his side too. So you don't speak. I would say because like everyone else said, no, just, I mean, that might be the truth. (laughs) No, (laughs) don't do that. Don't do that to me, dude. Nobody says no to Chris (laughs) O'Halloran. There, there are myriad reasons. Trust me. Um, I was busy, Nick. I was busy. (laughs) (laughs) Nick. But uh, I got unbusy. (laughs) Listen, I'm a huge Tim Bloom fan. Thank you. But but Nick, we'll, 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 he... <laughs> we'll come back Let to me... that later, Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put a pin in it. Uh, <laughs> Nick was is probably responsible for breaking me out of my Stephen King rut. Um, I I pretty much started my reading journey. I'll I'll say uh, with Stephen King with Cell actually I saw it in the in the Safeway grabbed it and I, I fell in love read all of his stuff but after I wanted to branch out and I was uh, looking through all these lists on the internet of you know who's got who like who's who's in the horror atmosphere right now and uh, the Troop by Nick Cutter was always like right at the top of everyone's list so I was like okay I got to read this. And I read it and it was just, it was like Stephen King, but it was like Scott Smith, but it was like, it was so different. And, and it still had the seeds of everything that I loved. So that was like my first step into the water of other horror. 
And since then, it's just been like, you know, anything he puts out, I got to like devour right away. You know, I was clamoring for an arc of the handyman method because, you know, I'm a huge fan of Andrew F. Sullivan as well. And those two guys, they can't do any wrong. It's true. Um, And what was the process working back and forth with Nick like? Oh, man, I just... You know, I, I was starstruck the whole time. So I'm like, whatever you want to give me. And then he, he, <laughs> he said, well, I remember, though, the first one I was like, I've done a forward once or twice before. But um, and he, Chris is very right about this. I sent him something off and it was, you know, I'd obviously read all the stories and really admired um, the work that was in there because I didn't I had agreed to do the forward without having actually read the stories. But it sounded like it was up my alley. But um you know, you just don't know. Right. And, uh-huh. and you wouldn't want to be sort of un- ingenuine or disingenuous about your, your actual love of the work that was there, but I was, you know, super uh, relieved and also um, happy to see that the, the, I mean, I, I just went through it again. Uh, I don't know, a couple days ago, specifically your two stories, you know, just to remind um. myself them and I, I remember having read them obviously but i knew this was coming up i wanted to just reacquaint myself with them but i actually realized i didn't really have to reacquaint myself with them I'm like oh yeah i knew them as soon as i read the first few sentences i knew where they were going i knew that they were going to both end rather bleakly which i dig um <laughs> and you know the, the sort of the the aesthetic and the tone of the whole um of the whole anthology was right up my alley but I think my first one was more about like, you know, whatever, me growing up and how I got into horror. And then Chris very deftly and thoughtfully got back and said, you know, we need I think we need to put a little bit more about like, you know, the the, the fact that it's a disaster horror, you know, anthology and a few other like sort of important grace notes. And I'm like, you know what? Damn it, Chris, you're right. So <laughs> I you know, thought, you know, went back to the went back to the grind and um gave him um the forward that i think you know sort of exists in the book but um i've always been grateful for my editors so so thanks chris oh thank you so much yeah Yeah. he's a good ass he's a good (laughs) he is a good editor he's one of my my first readers always oh Um, thank you it's an honor he, he couldn't first read this story um which was really killing me and it's a great forward by the way yeah oh fantastic yes Thanks, yeah, it, it felt it. very personal, but still relevant, and um, I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, and again, like I said, having read the, as you said, Chelsea, it is a pay-it-forward thing, I think, um, but, it, you know, there's also the concern that you want to do well by, you know, the anthology itself, by all the contributors and the really strong writing that was in there, so thank you, but uh, if, if at best it just burnishes, you know, the good writing that's in there, the great writing that's in there, so so thank you guys oh that's amazing thank you a little love fest um i did have a a joke question in the interview um lineup where i was me and tim have a little bit of we call it a fake sibling rivalry um and i was gonna be like oh so nick which which of our stories i stopped myself from asking that (laughs) no because i was i censored myself when he yeah. said he reread them, I was like, oh, no, he set me up. <laughs> 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 Don't have to answer it, but I mean. No, well, yeah, I, I you know, twice like if asking what, which, are your kids, which are your kids you, you you love better. You love them all equally and you love them all the same. You know, very, very much. Tim's like, is better, right? 
We'll talk like, after that. We'll talk after. <laughs> we'll Tim's talk after. Shut up, Tim, Chelsea. Tim has more words. You know, more. that's, you know, mm-hmm. that's. That is everything, not, yes. You know, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's <laughs> here, but I wouldn't, you know, I think they're both very, very different, very different stories. But both, like, again, like yours, uh, Chelsea, sort of buries the lead, you'd say. You know, mm. so it's it's really I don't want to give anything away. There's no there's no use doing that. A lot of people listening to this ideally are going to go out there and, and get the anthology. Um, but both have that really bleak uh, kind of end capper on it. Um, mm. And while Tim seemed to be building towards that, uh, you know, really thoughtfully and really kind of I mean, I, I really like that sort of gross, grimy. Oh, thank you. That's, yeah. Yeah. I, awesome. I dig that. Um, Yours kind of was the classic, um, more, I mean, uh, more of a gotcha, but in a really, a really good way. And I like how when a real short story first gets you by the heart and then um, I weirdly gets you a bit more by the heart in a, in a different kind of a way at the end. So, so yeah. And those are just two of what is a really, really strong collection. Yeah. There's some amazing, thank you. Thank <laughs> I you. feel bad now. I was like, I was joking, but let me just bait you into some compliments. <laughs> That will cause a lot of problems later. I'm going to just snip that, <laughs> put it on my website. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to cut the entire thing out of the episode. <laughs> Not gonna I'm going to go in and steal her up. Her head is big enough. She cannot. You just cut it, it in a way that it's like I say, like, that is really bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Individual Individual syllables. Yeah. That. I'm, my head's in a different <laughs> spot on the screen. Don't, that's, no, I didn't do that. Chelsea Ellen is would. dark. <laughs> That'll be my birthday present from Ellen. <laughs> um, so Chris already brought up some of your really memorable works, like The Troop and The Deep. Um Obviously, that was a reason you were thought of for the theme of disaster horror. Um, what about that theme? Like we kind of asked Chris this, but what about the theme of disaster inspires you in your own work, Nick? Oh, that's a that's a great question, Chelsea. I'm um, I mean, I, I guess very simply not to go to go on because, you know, there's so many interesting things we can chat about. But um, yeah, I mean, a gr- part of I mean, guess how you quantify or t- look at disaster. You know, a lot of it is to me. um the real horror comes from the human disaster of people failing to get along, work together, working across purposes to each other, their true sort of natures revealing themselves in moments of crisis. Um, You know, which is to say it's the essence of horror. It's not really, there are several different essences of horror, different ways that you can, you can come at it. But um, you know, when I, when I heard disaster, I thought, well, yeah, I mean, again, there were, there were so many different tacks that the authors in, in this, um, anthology took to sort of get to the to the disaster that they were looking at and and even within some even your guys stories you know or or any of the other some of the others like the disaster you know there's the outline disaster and then there's the more personal disaster so I, I find those generally and I find readers often you know what I mean from a movie's perspective people like it when something blows up or I do too but what really sort of galvanizes readers is the more kind of personal, interpersonal disasters that um, characters go through while they're fighting their way through maybe a, a larger global or or sort of societal disaster. Right. And it was it was like incredibly subtle. Uh, a lot of the stories were really, really subtle with their disaster, but you could feel it. You could feel it like really emanating through. I remember reading um, 
Bridget Braves story and just thinking to myself, this is terrifying. This is this is a really, really catastrophic end of world kind of feeling for you, but it's, it's very personal as well. That's definitely something that I really, really searched for is, you know, Bridget, like her story, for example, you have, she's stuck in this cave, but, you know, at the core of it, she's failing. Like she's, she's failing this task that she set out to create. Like Tim, uh, you have this, this neighborhood, this, this community that's just totally being taken over by this presence. But uh, it's, it's really a story about identity and about um, this main character's identity and Chelsea's story. You know, I don't want to go on about all these stories, but at the end of the day, there's this huge disaster, but the story is about companionship and safety and this personal journey. Um, and Bridget D. Brave's story is called Unzipped for those listening who have not. And it's horrifying. It is I very Hers is one I haven't claustrophobic gotten to yet. I'm so and, excited. And, and... She's an incredible author. So I'm really yes. excited to read that. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, Chris, I guess on that, um, did you go into this envisioning such a huge range of responses to the theme? And was there anything that surprised you that you got? <laughs> Yeah, I think I really, I did expect it because I have a ton of faith in our writers. I've, I beta read like a ton. So I, I already know a lot of the styles that are going to be coming at me. And um, even just looking at the previous anthology, Howls from the Dark Ages, uh, it's a medieval anthology, but everyone brought way different stories to it. Um, you know, different cultures, different time periods, different stories. So I, like my hopes were high and everyone delivered. Was there one that, anyone that surprised you? You're like, didn't see that one. Didn't see that disaster coming in the slush file. Oh <laughs> yeah, actually. Uh, I know Carson and Caleb both did Kaiju stories. Mm. Yeah. And um, I was like, okay, uh, this is different. And this is different. Like, yeah. they, not only are they different from the other stories, they're way different from each other. Um, and uh, not to harp on the human um, element of it, but, you know, Carson did this story about uh, this kaiju attacking a city and devouring people and spitting them out. And again, it's a it's a story about identity. It's a story about people. Uh, Caleb, he wrote a kaiju story that was like a father son drama. It's just I was I was super surprised and I was super not surprised. That's fair. Knowing knowing the people at work that tracks. Right. <laughs> um, Carson's story, I read an early draft of it. Um, he ran it by me just like for beta reading and stuff. And I actually walked away thinking that his story had like a gentrification vibe to it. Um, and he has kind of gone on record on Twitter and stuff saying like, it's really just about like the times changing around you and like you coping with that and like not keeping up with the change. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the event he talks about, like it is sort of secondary, kind of like Elton was saying before, like some of the disasters, like aren't really the main, the main point. Um, but regardless of my interpretation of Carson's story <laughs> and, and whether it was correct versus, um, on Carson's take, um, Tim's story, The Last Sermon of Brother Grime, also dealt with gentrification on, on a really weird, capital W, weird format. Um, so, <laughs> it was very gross. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. It was just so strange, also disgusting, which I love. Um, so I was wondering, Tim, if you could speak a little bit um, 
to that theme and why you chose to explore it in that way? Yeah, sure. Um, I've lived uh, in neighborhoods like that before, that are, you know, older neighborhoods that, you know, uh, people and families of all sorts have been living in for a very long time that happen to be in like historic parts of the city, particularly in Birmingham, for instance. Um, and then, you know, the city finds that, you know, they're interested in changing what these neighborhoods look like to, you know, you know, uh, bring more clientele, bring more business, make the city look like they expect it to look like um, without really sort of considering the people who already live there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really, when I was sort of thinking about what I wanted to write, um, I really thought about like these areas and I've seen places like that, you know, that um, are just like very nice and sort of like cleaned up and fancy looking just sort of right in the heart of something. And, you know, they think they're doing sort of they're bringing about change and innovation and all sorts of things. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are displaced, you know, they're looking at the place they've been living at for 30, 40 years and it, you know, it looks nothing like they're used to. And so I really wanted to show that like change sort of was in the eye of the beholder, particularly when it comes to, uh, making something look better and what that means and that sort of thing. Yeah, that was, it was amazing. And it's, it's so relevant, like uh, growing up in the lower mainland and living in the lower mainland right now, you see, um, you know, what's going on in Vancouver. You have these small houses going for millions of dollars and I'm sure it's the same in Toronto. It's just, things are getting totally out of control. And um the fact that you introduced this this character, Brother Grime, is just yeah. to throw a wrench into everything. And it's like, man, I kind of I kind of wish that we would have a Brother Grime in real life because <laughs> bring it all these, back. We might. These, these housing prices are crazy. <laughs> oh, I can and I can totally picture it here too. Like you can see like the font that they use on like new housing street numbers, right? Like that just like signifies gentrification's coming. I love how you detailed this like fake authenticity of this yeah. restaurant too that was really like fun as a reader but like in a way that's like god damn that's so real um mm. so i don't know i just thought you did a really good job of i thought your setting was like fantastic um you said something also that really made me think and that's i said it was like, yes yes um and something <laughs> that i was sort of really getting at the idea that like you know we will the concept of changing something and we'll change it for you we'll see how you like it that sort of thing that has like almost like an aggressive tone to it and i thought that was really cool too yeah it felt like you detailed the gentrification and then the people who like took it back it was like they weren't bringing it back to what they were used to. They were like, oh, you think you think our place isn't yeah. good enough? Like, we'll show you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, So I thought that was a really cool horror element that made it like very bizarre and like fun to follow. So kudos to you. Thank you. I also kind of in invited in kind of some of the imagery. Um, I don't know if I'm just like overly reading into this as well, but like the 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 gnarled man with a straw hat. It kind of gave it like a Papa Legba kind of oh, the yes, Dowan yeah. vibe. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, that was something I was really thinking about because I really wanted to, I don't know, I actually had the title of, because I'm full of myself, I had the title of the story before I ever um, wrote anything. And I wasn't really sure, but I knew I wanted to be, I wanted to really try to make a very interesting sort of strange or maybe even compelling character. And yeah, so that means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, like we've all got this misconception of of Papa Legba's 
identity as right. being Lance Reddick in, in American Horror Story, but he was actually right. just like a, a gnarled old yeah. with a straw hat, yeah. very unassuming, right. very just present. And it, it just gave me that like, like that really, really serene sort of feeling of this is malevolent presence within society. It was it was fantastic. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Um, so you have been not to oh, age you, I would never has do done that, that, but you've anyways. kind of been in, in the publishing. So don't worry about it, Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's only from Googling you, I promise. Um, so you've been in the publishing game for almost 20 years. And I feel like I I would at least consider you kind of a staple of modern horror for maybe the past 10-ish years. Um, have you noticed any big changes in the landscape of horror and or publishing over time since you've been a part of it? That's a great question. I'm, I mean... <laughs> You know, I think this one of the simple things and one of the needed things, not just in horror, but sort of over literature in general, um, you know, is more diversity. You know what I mean? Like when I came in, uh, there were still a lot of guys, mostly guys writing stories about like I'm a university professor and I got the hots for this student in my class. And then I got I got a divorce and, uh, you know, my life's a mess or whatever. And like, do we need more of those stories was kind of the idea at some point. Like, um, and I don't think we do. I don't think we needed as many of them as we had at the time. And I'm not quite sure how that prevailed in horror, but I'm sure it prevailed in a certain similar fashion. You know, um, obviously I grew up reading like Chris and pot- potentially like, like you, uh, King and Kuntz and McCammon, um, Anne Rice, you know, so if those are sort of Stein, R.L. Stein. Yeah, exactly. R.L. Stein. Um, You know, I think we understand that there's a certain chromatism to all of that, that kind of. And, you know, I mean, they were writing about things that felt close to my own existence. So I suppose that was in some way, uh, you know, on top of the, um, you know, the facility that they had with the storytelling was something that obviously appealed to me and sort of ushered me into horror. But um to say that those are the only stories that should be told or not should be told, but could be told, obviously not the case. So I've seen, um, it seems to me not a sea change. I I hope it's not that extreme, but I think it is a very strong and necessary push towards, you know, other voices essentially. Um, And that was probably predating me. So, you know, if my first book, I think the troop came out in 2014, I, you know, I believe it was, it was, you know, I sort of in flux, you know, and, and um, was, was moving forward and it seems to have gathered that, that momentum and ideally it will continue to press forward. But in, in publishing in general, like, I mean, what well, you guys might notice it as well. Like there's not as much money and I'm not just saying not as much money for advances and things like that. There's not as much money to like when the troop came out in Canada, me and my friend Andrew Piper um, went on a tour, which is like unheard of. But the the um, you know the publisher Simon and Schuster in Canada sent us on like a tour across Canada. Essentially, um, they were really trying to push Canadian horror, so we sort of became the whatever the, cool. the, the recipients of that. So, yeah, it was cool. Um, but was the it very of, glamorous? Like you stayed in five star oh, hotels and you red really carpet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, the funny, the, the, the thing about that was I didn't know Andrew uh, and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to meet Andrew tomorrow. Like we have become like really, really close friends. But, you know, I said to my wife before we went off to the airport, I'm like, 
this could be hellish. We're in, we're two weeks together. This could be one of the worst experiences of our mutual existences. But the, the thing is, I was thinking about the other night, like, I don't want to belabor this story, but it was just like, you know how two people become friends, you know, there's, there's this sort of energy or, or organicism to it at some level. And you guys have probably found it yourselves. Like it's sometimes just an inciting incident, but we went to this signing in um, Calgary and this guy came up to us, which I was this guy myself, like he, not exactly this guy, but he was like a new writer. He wanted to, you know, sort of, he felt like it was all closed doors. And maybe if I go up to these two writers and give them my story, somehow magically, they will like walk into Simon and Schuster and say, okay, we got to publish this thing. Um, I, let's start with a million copies, but you know, <laughs> let's move, let's get bigger from there. You know, as if we have that power, you know what I mean? We are trying to get published ourselves essentially, but he came up very nicely, seemed really intense though, kind of had a bit of a, bit of a semi Manson-ish kind of, you know, intense. Oh, boy. <laughs> and he had this story, right? So he had this story and I remember his name. I'm going to say, I'm going to not say his actual name. His name was, I'm just kidding. Don't. <laughs> his name was Edward. Uh, let's say his name was Edward. And uh, so the next he, Andrew took the story and we're on in the car the next day and he's reading it. And I'm just watching his face kind of go like pale and, uh, you know, oh. just like, and I don't remember the exactness of the story, but it was something like he, the main character, not, not Edward, killed his wife and put her in spaghetti or something, you know, and then, Where they belong. Else. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you know, and just that coupled with the intensity of him and the whole vibe we were getting with him. It was like, Oh, oh gosh. And he had our email. This oh, was no. a bad idea. <laughs> but that night, you know, this is how I knew we were buddies. I knew we shared the same sort of sense of humor is we were going back home to the hotel and Piper's hotel room was before mine. So he's like, he lets himself in. It's like, yeah, all right, see ya, see ya. And he opens the door and I'm like five or so steps and he goes, Edward? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like Edward was waiting inside his room and he pushed the door open like, Edward? <laughs> and that, did you that run became, back like, or did you <laughs> run away? <laughs> no, it just, but that became the, for the rest of the time we spent together, oh, every no. time we'd try to nail each other with, go in the bathroom and like look into the stall like, Edward? <laughs> he was plaguing us and following us throughout the entire tour so long belabored story but like yeah that was like something that we did you know and um i just don't know of those opportunities and i don't want to i don't want to say that, that that's gone because i don't i don't think it is but I, I i feel like those kind of opportunities are vanishingly rare at this point which is unfortunate because i think horror itself is as popular and as de facto sort of profitable as it ever was. So why, you know, horror authors themselves wouldn't have that opportunity. And I, I really hope everybody that we're on this panel right now, you know, has that opportunity to do so. Maybe not me anymore. I've had my opportunity, but, but you guys, um, I would like to see that keep happening uh, and maybe it will, but recent returns don't seem all that promising on that level. Although great horror continues to be published. Thank God. Right. Yeah, it's like the expansion of the market has been great for readers and great for writers, but has like kind of devalued some of the opportunities. But I don't know that I necessarily mean that in like a philosophical sense. I guess I just mean on a monetary sense. But 
Yeah. And you don't get into it for that. I'm sure. Like, exactly. I, I, you guys didn't, you know, but at some yeah. point the exigencies of just of life, if you're trying to make a living at it, which you don't have to, and there's no expectation in anybody. To, I didn't expect to. And, and I've certainly gone through periods where I haven't, you know? Um, so, so yeah, um, I had the belabored and sort of um, a too long answer to your question. We love long answers. It's yeah, all that was amazing. I love them. So looking at things now from versus when you started, is there anything that, that has come up recently that's exciting to you, that, that gives you like a new sense of vigor for, for the horror genre? Oh, man, Elton, that, once again, was, I wasn't asked this question in a pre-interview. I'm... <laughs> I'm completely sort of like, it's great. That's a, that's a, that's a great question. And, and to, to think of, of something that kind of fits the, those parameters. Um, I just think in general that there's, there, there just seems to be um, just having gone to StokerCon for the first time since I think in a decade and finding um, a lot of the same faces, a lot of new faces, a lot of like, clearly the genre is thriving you know, and it's thriving in all sorts of different ways. And it seems to be one of these genres that just um, finds new ways to invent itself and um, recreate the atom uh, or, or recrack the atom in certain ways. And so, and so, you know, sort of my career is somewhat that way. I mean, there, there's, you know, elements of my books that are, I, I hope to me be very personal to me, but there's other elements that are like very clearly derived from the people that I grew up loving and, and reading and whose work sort of ensconced itself sort of in my brain. Um, and every so often you get like a real, you know, how about this, not to fling it back at you guys, but like, what would be the one book? I have one in my head, but like one book that like you've read, um, maybe movie too, that like, this seems like, I think, I think the term is sui generis or whatever. It's like, it's of its own. There's, there seems to, it seems to have come from no blueprint. It seems to have just like exited that author's brain as its own thing that has no sort of parallel. Yeah. Oh, you know, who does that? Like every time is Stephen Graham Jones. Like he, every book is, is like mongrels is different from uh, the last final girl is different from the only good Indians. Like, he's always just coming up with something new and something different. And it's, it's like amazing every time. And he like, he takes tropes and he just flips them on, a, on the heads. Yeah. And, and takes the piss out of them kind of like, it's, it's a, an always evolving trope. Yeah. It is a powerhouse. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I actually felt that way about the changeling too. Damn it, Tim! Um, Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll have to get on Goodreads and find another okay. fucking answer. Because well, it's actually, yeah, because I, yeah, it really does seem different. And I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the times, um, you never really, when you have like a story like that, when it's about like you know children and stuff, and like parents, I feel as a lot of the time the the father being the sort of main character or figure who is actually doing that sort of exploring and soul searching, I feel as though I haven't come across that very often, just in general. But also sort of the way he handled it, and yeah, I really feel like the changeling did that for me. It read like something I'd never uh, read. Yeah, that, and that's by Victor Laval. For, sure. for yeah. people who haven't read that, it's so good. Ooh, I got another one. Uh, one that we're actually reading right now uh, in Howl Society is um, in the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. It's it's a memoir, but it's 
it's like it go it dips into different povs a different uh, different like second person first person third person it's it's amazing you have chapters that are a few sentences you have chapters that are really long and it's all deeply personal and it's all it all just feels so fresh and it's like it's one of those books that i took out from the library and halfway through i was like i i need a copy of this oh, and that goes the best feeling it's it's the best and that goes back to what <laughs> nick's saying about you know how diversity has been so exciting it's like yeah i can relate to stephen king and i can relate to dean Koontz, but um you know these authors like victor laval and tanana reeve do and yes. stephen graham jones they're bringing this other perspective that is just so it is relevant in ways and it's different in other ways you know you get to see how their lives are different and it's just i don't i don't understand how people wouldn't want that it's yeah. so fresh yeah i think that was so, one of my first sort of modern reads that really resonated with me that changed me actually oh yeah, yeah, that, was, yeah. that was like an instant five star for me um mm -hmm. another i was after the changeling was stolen from my brain by tim <laughs> i was like all right i'll think of another one but um another one that we read in howl society a while ago is earthlings which was by sayaka murata and mm -hmm. i got to chapter two and I was like I'm not sure I can even finish this like I was so disturbed by it and I was like this just might not be for me and then I something compelled me to finish that chapter and then and then it got easier to, to digest <laughs> I think you might have gotten used to it I might have just gotten used to it because um, <laughs> it didn't get fucked up like she she it's, a, it's, a, after a, while. it's a thing yeah oh it was like but I've also read her um convenience store woman which isn't horror at all um, but those are, did someone just say, hmm, Chris? Is like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but that is another author where it's like just so different and unique, like no blueprint existed for that. Like earthlings dealt with a lot of, um, trauma and like childhood trauma kind of coming forth in an adult and the ways it manifests are just, I mean, we're in the horror genre. They're disturbing, um, to say the least. But also just like very unique. <laughs> Don't know that I mean that complimentary or not, but it was a read that I was not mad that I read. <laughs> it definitely yeah. um, stuck with me for sure. Nick, can I ask how, is that something that you think of when you're writing is uh, how to make this different from what came before it? Because I know with the handyman method, it's very, um, it's very relevant to what's going on these days. Is that how you keep it fresh or is there something else you do? Well, you know, there would be, there'd be those that argue I don't keep it fresh at all. So, you know, it really <laughs> depends on, on who you talk to. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, that was as much Andrew Sullivan as me, uh, a, a great deal of the sort of um, sociological stuff. I think uh, especially the stuff that you're sort of talking about. Well, some of it just came from our own lives. I think that's mainly like, this is not any great, sort of revelation but some of the things that when i've written a book i guess we all know it like you write a story and maybe you have a sense of like these are the things that are going to hit with a reader you know and then it gets out there and and those are actually strangely not the things that necessarily resonate with readers at all you're, you're sort of blindsided by oh this is where your attention lay or this is where you derived um pathos from, from you know and so i discovered over time that the things that ultimately seem to resonate with readers most of my work are things that are kind of called for my own life really you know right. what i mean aspects of um 
events or circumstances or past things that happen to me or people that I know that I um, sort of write and weave into the fictional fabric of things. And when someone comes and says, you know, this particular scene was um, meaningful, may maybe less with the Nick stuff than with the Craig stuff. Uh, you know, I don't make a habit of like hurting turtles or things of that <laughs> nature, you know, um, like, you know, but that, that came from my life, you know, like that, that event yeah. or that thing that you read in the story that, um, you know, that was, that was for me and sort of um, it's, it's just sort of a gloss on what, whatever was in my own life. So, and in that way, you can't, you know, in terms of keeping it fresh, it's, it's rather difficult because you really just can only plumb the past that you have. And as I've gotten older, I think my life has gotten a bit more quotidian, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't want to say sadly, I think it's just sort of <laughs> normally that's just the way it is, but you tend, I tend to focus more on family stuff, dynamics of, of, being a parent and things of that nature, which I mean, right. it's another, when you reread a book, you know, a horror book. When I read Pet Cemetery the first time as a teenager, I was like, mm -hmm. idiot that guy is. Why is he <laughs> just, just leave the kid in the ground. Like just leave him in the dead. Like who cares? The fuck got right. him. All. It's a bummer. But <laughs> as a dad, you're like, yeah, of course you would go. And 100%. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Of course you're going to do anything you can to try and assumedly, uh, yeah. So, so, um, yeah. Anyways, I guess it's just the way uh, evolved is the wrong word. The way I've changed as a writer, as I've gotten older is just sort of followed the path of my own life. And that does come through, uh, like with, sorry, Chelsea. Um, I just, it's, like, it's the Chris's themes. podcast now. I'm just living in it. <laughs> I'm, I'm fanboy. <laughs> you're, um, you're welcome. It's, it, it's something that I noticed like with the troop and with the deep and little heaven, it's, it's always, you know, the the powerless feeling of something happening to your family and you know as as a father i feel that it's like you, you do now you, yeah yeah you would do whatever it takes to to take care of your family and the, the greatest horror i think that resonates so much from your writing is that sometimes there's nothing you can do yeah there's so many flavors to it right you know it, it's you know there's the lovecraftian side of it where you feel doesn't as a human being you feel powerless in general, in the face of these kind of, and I, and I got a sense in, in Tim and your story, a little bit of like Lovecraftian, Thank like you. big, yes. the big at the end, you know? Um, Thank you. I wanted to say something to you about that as well, but I don't want to cut you off. Um, uh, so I asked, no, well, okay. I, I asked Chris, cause I'd read Saturday Night Ghost Club and I really enjoyed it. But I asked Chris, what book, you know, of, of Nick Cutter should I start with, you know? And Chris was like, oh, Tim, I think you'd really like Little Heaven. And I just want to say, and I've been talking about a lot. I find that that book is fantastic. Um, <laughs> I have loved um, Little Heaven so much. And when you talk about, you know, authors sort of like handling sort of like, you know, different people and different, the character of Ebenezer, I just find so cool. And, you know, I want to slick my hair back, you know? <laughs> uh, um, and I just, I really, and that stuff sort of gets me because I thought about that, you, and like sort of like the Lovecraftian stuff a bit and even like the Stephen King stuff, maybe even some like Robert McCammon and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And yeah, it's just yeah. like, and I've been telling like Chris and Chelsea, I was like, I, I want to write a horror Western of some sort. That's all I care about right now. This I hope but, you do. Man. No, I, I think I, you can nail it. But it's I really, really that story has been fantastic uh, so far, and I wanted to finish it in time, and I've got like four chapters left. You didn't? I, oh, I, I, but I mean, unless those four chapters really something happens, but um, so, the creators but, at the end. <laughs> Stop reading now. Yeah, yeah that I, end. The yeah. end. <laughs> 
but ignore I just really Chelsea like telling you to stay on deadline. She yeah, never yeah I fail she... every reading deadline I set, so it's fine. <laughs> you know, like multiple POVs and sort of timelines. It just, you know, and I've never really tackled something uh, very sort of significantly long, but it's just, it's, I have really, really enjoyed it. I'm uh, glad, you know, so. I'm glad I was, you know, grew up, you know, watching and reading Westerns and it's, I wanted to try one and I hope, I hope you do too. I, 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 you know, I, um, I was told to kind of, I wanted to do it like an 1800s one yeah. and others mm. were like, Oh no. Um, I don't know. Th th there's a weird, I, I, again, I don't want to, I don't want to say this because you're like, you want to write a Western and you just should write a Western. You should write whatever the <laughs> fuck kind of wrestling you want to write. But it was, I, I was into it writing it and it was like kind of stagecoach type of thing. And they're mm -hmm. like, Oh, could we update it and make it like, you know, 1970s. I said, I, I could, and I will, I don't want to, but <laughs> um, you know, it's under contract and you've asked me to do yeah. so. so. It's, it's interesting sort of, I'd love to talk to certain authors Um you know, because when when I was writing stories and stuff and submitting them and and you know you write whatever the hell you wanted, you know what I mean? There was there were, you were not asked to do anything. You might get rejected. Okay, yeah. sure, that's certainly a risk that all of us run. But you weren't being told specifically to do anything because the market is shifting or it's kind of a little iffy under your feet, and you should really sort of. And those sort of things are as as you go on. As as Chelsea reminded me, I've been doing this for two decades. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a wisened old fossil in this game. She, uh, she uh, said, actually, you've been in the game near two decades. Damn near But I don't like thinking about those things. I don't like having to think about those things, but, but it has happened over time that, that I have had to start thinking about those things. And I, I wish I didn't. And, and potentially if, you know, I was Stephen King or Clyde Barker or that level, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to. And maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's not even a level thing. Maybe if I'm being completely honest with myself, um, I from time to time lack a level of confidence that I think those writers might have. And so I allow myself to sort of be pushed in directions that I'm not always sure are germane and best to my own interests, you know, creatively. But, um, you know, I have a mortgage and I have, I have the exigencies of life and why we have two children. And, you know, there's certain things where my dad and my mom got up and just went and did their jobs. And I sort of sometimes look at it that way, which is not the way I looked at it when I was younger, but um, I do now sometimes. Yeah. It's better than working at a, a big plan. downer on things. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, I loved it. And I, and I knew you have to, sorry, but like, so were, is there like, there's like a Lovecraftian influence there, right? Would you oh, say, sure. obviously? Yeah. So, yeah. Sure. And I'm sort of yeah. really into sort of the cosmic thing and stuff. And, you know, I just, I just wanted to let you know, I, I really liked it. And Chris, oh, you know, well, like who knows your bibliography up and down was like, Tim, you will love this. And it, <laughs> you know, so. yeah. Well, I sense the fair, Chris was like, Chris was like, Chelsea, you loved the ruins. Like you need to pick up the troop. So yes. and I've yeah. been, yeah, I'm very happy with it. I love that book. <laughs> I was well, nervous because I heard about the animal issues. Everybody but does. Having been know, a perpetrator myself, I was like, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we all know about Pico. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody pretty, pour one out has for Pico. As you have been Pico. uplifted on TikTok. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, before you go, Nick, do you want to tell us what your upcoming like next project is and where people can find your work? 
you're yeah, pretty Googleable, no, um, but just want to give you the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the handyman method. My friend Andrew Sullivan, Sully, and I wrote it, and I think mm-hmm. comes out in a couple of weeks. So um, that's it. And um, there's some more in the future. Um, not sure when exactly. I guess that's going to be um, up to the the publishing gods. But um, yeah, thank really thank you, thank you all, Chelsea Elton. Tim, Chris, for having me. Um, I really enjoyed this. It was great meeting you guys at StokerCon. Not all of you, but 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 you too. Uh, yeah, and thank um, you. yes, yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah. The dynamic duo. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Come back anytime, Nick. Um, especially if you want to just like wax poetic about writing see the sights, your heart. Hang out. Yeah, just hang see out. the sights. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And, uh, yeah. Yes, Brett is, is is very very upset that he's not. Oh, going to be here and meet we were you supposed and... to name drop Brett to you. Yeah. Brett. Um, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, yeah, I'll have to come back and uh, have a chance to to chat with Brett as well. So Perfect. whenever you guys need um, an old dog to sit on the porch and howl and gnash his teeth, <laughs> you can call me. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, Brett <laughs> is the prettiest cutthroat queen, so you'll have to he meet is. him. Awesome. He's the most charming as well. He really is. <laughs> well, it was, you, it was lovely to meet you, Elton. And uh, and Chris, it was really, really good working with you. I really appreciate yeah. you giving me this opportunity, man. It's been my honor. Thank you so much. Um, and Chris, I know you're tight on time too. So same question to you. Like what's next for you and where can people find your work? Um, What is next? What's uh, actually today, um, as we're recording uh, July 25th, um horror library eight came out and um that is edited by uh eric guignard uh i've never said his name out say loud. it with confidence that's great. eric guignard that's guignard. Right. there's no guignard. way that's right, <laughs> that's not right. That can't be <laughs> that, there's no Sorry, way eric <laughs> we'll do our best <laughs> yeah i tried <laughs> he's he's amazing I've, I've loved working with him but um he's putting out his the eighth volume of horror library and that is featuring a little story I have about a uh, father who spends a little more time in the bathroom than he should um, in order to. <gasps> Dads in toilets. The, the Chris, title was originally called? Dads. Right now it's called Unwind because Eric said, love the story. Uh, don't Hate love the title. The title. <laughs> so, what was it originally? It was Dads in toilets, right? It was Dads in bathrooms. Dads in bathrooms. Which, which I intended it to be read as in like Dads in bathrooms. Am I right? Because <laughs> you have am I right? Am I right in the title? You should have put was, Am I right in the title? I think I would have sold it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. um it's 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 super relevant i think i hope because um i know a lot of people who say their spouses are going to the bathroom for you know 10 15 minutes at a time and it's like what are you doing in there and this kind of explores what they're doing in there <laughs> I love and it's it. got it's got other friends like i jung and uh oh, i know steve okay. Raznik tem is in there bentley oh, little wow. There's a oh. little story. Oh, so you're yeah. like proper famous now. So we can't have you back on here again now. <laughs> you're not I indie anymore. I... You're fucking famous, man. Uh, <laughs> one of these days, I'll be Nick Cutter level. Oh. Then you'll be back on. Yeah. yeah. And we'll you will. Be back you, will. you will. You will. Guide us, sensei. <laughs> I hope. Oh, um, tell people where to find you on the internet before you leave. You can find me at coauthor.ca. Uh, those are my initials. I, I'm not, I have co-authored with, <gasps> with me. Chelsea, with Chelsea Pumpkins, the one and only. Um, but yeah, C-O, my initials, author.ca, because I'm Canadian. 
And I'm on Twitter for the time being. We'll we'll see where that goes. X. You're on X. At Burgle Infernal. X. Yeah, at Burgle Infernal. Can I say this for Chris as well? I don't know. Do people brag about this? I don't know if people brag about this. Is it a brag that you made the StokerCon reading list? Is that a thing? <gasps> Congrats. Mm, maybe. I don't know. We'll brag about it here. We don't care. Yeah, right. it's like a brag. I, don't, I don't know if that's a brag. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Back to the anthology. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, this anthology. Oh, it's been, it, I think we've sold over a, a thousand copies at this point. You, you almost said a million. A million. <laughs> a million. <laughs> we have I sold did. 8 billion copies. I'd be like, bitch, I need another check. <laughs> a couple more. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's really it's really finding its audience and I love it. Yeah, I love it so much. It it's like- it's an incredible like talking from the outside, you guys have all been involved. Speaking from the outside, it's an incredible piece of work that down to the the art, the editing, the the selection of stories. It's just been absolutely fantastic to read it from start to finish except Chelsea's story which I didn't read. Um <laughs> and it, it's Brian just, Nick Cutter loved it, so I'm good. Well, um, well, yeah. you're a host, so yeah, yeah. I it. just, I, I did not expect what I read going into it, and I think that's the most amazing and surprising thing about it. And for anyone who's listening who who isn't isn't sure about picking up like a story book of anthology, what am I trying to say? A book of short stories. That one, yeah. Book of short <laughs> stories about disasters this is this has got everything you need so you need to go into where you can find it where can you find it yeah where can we buy it chris yeah. uh we have all you could buy it at the regular places but if you want all the links all the options go to howlsociety.com slash anthology and uh awesome. we'll have links there for the ebooks the physical books and we do have some special editions left over so we might be putting those up for sale soon and uh Pick up House from the Dark Ages and House from the Wreckage. While you're, not House from the Wreckage, House, House from, from Hell. Hell. Yes. Uh, while you're there. Chris is in both of those as well. Let me just brag for him. Um, yes. Thank you. The, the most- audio book, I've been listening, I've been reading and listening to different stories in House from the Wreckage, but the audio book is a great quality as well. So um, another option for audiobook listeners. Yes. Um, oh, she can't read, well. so she's been doing the audiobooks. Yeah. I need someone to narrate it to me. You Chris, if you have to people. go, don't let us keep you, but we will continue talking to Tim. Yes, um, I should go. Stay. Okay. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you being so here. I, <laughs> I loved it. I had a great time. You're the best. I'm going to head out as well. Oh, for your tight hour, Tim? Tim? <laughs> <laughs> for my, for my very tight hour. Yeah. Tim, right, you're coming, staying. I'm coming back I... for you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah. You're going to come pick me up? Just come pick me up. I'm going to pick you up. I'll pick you up at seven. Okay, bye guys. All right, keep it running. Bye. Keep it running. Take care. Yeah, um, Hilton was like, Tim needs his due. We're yes. Keeping him on. And I was like, okay. We're gonna keep him on a bit longer. I want to talk about how this was your your first sale. Your first yes. pro sale. Why are you laughing? It, it was. Makes, it just makes, yeah, it's true. It's, that is true. It just makes me yes, that is that is true. And it's incredible. So you, you need to tell us about the process here. You need to talk about how how I became incredible. How you became incredible. Yes. Just tell us. Tell us your secrets. What's the magic sauce? All right. So, you know, <laughs> I put on my pants 
one leg at a time, just like just like everyone else. Um, um, yeah, and you know, I'd always I'd always like to read, um, but I'd never really written before. Um, but I like to writing for. I guess this is like basically his first. I read one year before this, but you don't like to count that, so I don't count. Yeah, so a year because the workshop would be happening now, right? Last yeah. year's workshop would be happening now, so a year. Um, uh, yeah, a year. Uh, and you know, I was just—I don't know—I was very uncomfortable about deciding <laughs> to write something. But you know, I, I joined uh, Howl just because I, I was getting into horror and reading horror, and I liked it. Um, and you know, they were like, "Hey, there's this—you know—we have this uh, anthology we do, and there's a workshop um, every year." Did not do the workshop. <laughs> um, and, no, tell uh, us about that though. So, what was the alternative to the workshop? The alternative to the workshop was a uh, mentorship um, program um, where they a more experienced writer links you up with someone who is less experienced or someone who thinks they need a mentor or whatever. Someone you know just to sort of look over you and um, look over your work. Uh, that more personal connection and going back and forth. Who um, was your guy? Who was your mentor? Uh, Carson Winter uh, was my mentor, um, and it, and it, and uh, it worked out uh, quite well um, because we, you know, we had. To... Why is this story not like a, a proper Ligotian kind of story? Thank though? you. Well, thank you. Um, That's interesting. We were just talking that, about yeah, that. Thank you, because you know, I, I do, I do like uh, Ligotti a lot, actually, but that way of writing um things you know that's sort of like academically tinged from like sort of like a uh a particular generally sort of white male perspective sort of looking into the sort of the unknown and sort of dealing with things you know lovecraft is you know is guilty of that a lot of things you know that's a lot of what people see as sort of like weird fiction um you know, very sort of similar samey characters who are sort of like, you know, having their eyes wide open to sort of things that we shouldn't see and knowing that life is meaningless and all that stuff. Um, and which I do like, but none of that obviously resonates with me. Um, and none of those characters are anything like <laughs> me. Um, and so, you know, um, I talk, yeah, like the Battle of Black Tom, something like that, I think is sort of incredible. Um, the sort of dealing with again these, by Victor Laval. Yeah, uh, dealing with these themes and sort of like a more sort of street level, just in a way that resonates with me because you know these things are sort of cool, but you know I don't see myself in them. Um, you, you've had this 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 new experience, this uh, this publication, first publication, sure. first pro rate. What do you think? It's next for you. What do you what do you want to happen for you now? Firstly, um, I will say that until a few like when people were talking about, you know, first publication, first pro rate, I had no idea what any of that means. <laughs> no, uh, right? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> five cents a word, three. I never knew. Um, but what's next for me? Um, I guess in a sense, I'm still trying to figure my own sort of voice out uh, i've written a few others i've written other stories um and i'm sort of like delving into that and sort of writing shorts and i'd like to sort of start writing longer pieces um i have a work that's coming out uh, in nightlight sometime this year which is a really cool podcast um 
So it'll be cool, you know, to hear that. But as far as what's your, concerned, what story got picked up by Nightlight? Oh, uh, it's, it's a actually it's Flash. Actually, I think it's Ooh. been a while. Um, but it's a story um, mm, uh, called Ma Bess, which is, I guess, also a bit sort of cosmic in tone. Um, but it's a, about sort of a guy reflecting um, on his uh, an older family member, like a sort of a grandmother or an aunt or something like that, um, as she passes away. He's sort of like reflecting on not really knowing this uh, woman and sort of discovering who she is. Huh, that sounds um, really beautiful. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> it's not. I'll, I don't know I'll just wait at this point. I'll not, just wait. <laughs> I don't know if it's beautiful, but. Oh my um, God. If you, if you need a, a mentor, then Michelle Tang. Michelle She Tang. loves writing. Michelle, she loves grandmas. She, she loves grandmas. Yeah. I don't know if she'll love this one. But yeah, I, I I think Michelle is a great writer. I, I've never, you know, read something by Michelle and didn't think it was. Also, great. like awesome. little side note, but Michelle Tang also has a story in House from the Wreckage called Systemic she Infection. Does. It is good. Fantastic. Everything like, she writes is golden. Like Michelle yes. is, is is fantastic. We love her. We are her super fans. Yes, yeah. I am a fan. She does not like cosmic horror. And there's more to that. Um, and I like, you know, things outside of Cosmic Horror, but I know specifically she's not a huge fan. So, you know. She's probably like me. She just doesn't get it. I, I, I don't understand. I don't know. Call Michelle to do stupid on the podcast. No, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, you know, cool. we don't have a Not you, Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> I call myself stupid. Like, I mean, I don't I, think I, don't I get, get it, Elton. So. Like literally so, all I understand is just the horrific ways that you can suck a dick. Like that's that's my my aesthetic. Yeah, that's my next upcoming piece, the horrific ways you can uh, yeah, yeah. suck. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting some insight on that one. I've had Chelsea <laughs> look at it. I'll send it to you. Um, you know, I'm doing... Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Send it to the cutthroat queens. <laughs> Jesus Christ, my mom listens to that. <laughs> what, what's your mom's name? Hi, Ma. <laughs> no, no, just her first name. No, no, no. I'm just going to say, I'm not going to say something weird. Hi, Chelsea's no, mom. Hi, Ch- no, I won't. Hi, Chelsea's mom. That's, this is all that's gonna funny. Go. She'll be talking. <laughs> <laughs> you she have loves a... Elton's work. Um, oh. So who, so you've mentioned like kind of these like capital W weird horror writers, but you're like, I don't see myself in them, but are you in, like, do you consider them influences? If not, like who, who are some of your, li- do you have literary influences? First of who all, are they? I don't. Me? Yes, Elton is my top literary influence. Um, I just, <laughs> I just, I continue to absorb him as best as I can. Um, but, but when Elton is when Elton is too busy to let me sort of through osmosis get some of him, um, yeah, uh, there. <laughs> but yeah, of course, of course. Um, yeah, I like you know. Uh, Brian Evanson's work I find very good. Um, uh, Paula D. Ash's newest book. Oh, um, oh Elton loves her. I'm obsessed with Paula D. Ash. <laughs> yeah, her book was just sort of really great, fantastic, just sort of brutal. I loved it. Um, I Shirley Jackson winner as well. That's true. Yes, yes. Yeah. Congratulations, Paula. Congratulations, yes, Paula. Yes, congratulations. Um, any. I love Zen Rockland's work whenever, you know, they put something together. Oh, my God. Um, yes. I just read um, The Night Sun um, by them recently, and it was fantastic. Is that a um, short? Or? Um, it's uh, it's like a lot. I think it's like, 
It's a longer short story. Like it, it was published on tour.com, tour fire. Oh, I'm going like to have to sign that. It's really good. It's really good. Um, I read it. Work. And uh, let's see. Yeah. A bunch of different stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, Robert McCammon. I love a lot. Um, as Nick had mentioned, who is from Alabama, actually, which means nothing to me, but I do, I do, I do, you know, you know he's a great writer, but I don't think we have like an Alabama connection, but I, I love You him. might. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's my dad. You're breathing yeah. the same, you're maybe, maybe you're drinking the same water. That, that's so true, that's true. That. That's yeah. true. Um, he spat in my mouth once. It was cool. Oh. <laughs> uh clive barker well, the- in the bed. <laughs> yes um nicole cushing who i whose work i also am a big admirer of uh, i love nicole cushing's work i had the chance to meet her at stoker and i was you know it was great and i was exciting she was very nice um thomas Legati, i also do no you want. don't Stop i do I, I am a big fan of thomas Legati. don't like him uh, Stop it. <laughs> Nobody does, um, except Carson. <laughs> Carson is the only person I, I that do. likes the I, I, This is I what do. happens when you, Carson mentors people. Uh, yeah, I, I do, you know, I, I do like Lovecraft, um, you know, uh, enough said there, but I, I do find his work sort of rather interesting and fun, though I don't know if I find it exactly compelling. Um, but yeah, just a lot, a lot of people. Um, and then really reading around our community as well. I haven't had the chance to read Elton's work, but I would love to. You would like it. I would. I would, I feel. I've been told that before. Chris told me that. Um, yeah, but just, and like, I'm obviously an influence by, you know, a lot of the people who, you know, hang out with us and who are sort of writing sort of in these stories. Uh, and Carson's a good writer. Uh, Chris is a good writer. Chelsea Chris is, is an amazing writer. Yeah. Why are you yeah, saying yeah. that like a question? No, no, no. These are, these are great. <laughs> but yeah, just a bunch of different influences. You know, uh, Laird Barron, John Langan. <laughs> Generally speaking. All right. Thank you for sharing your influences, Tim. You're welcome. So you said you haven't been writing for all that long. No. What other themes or genres have you been playing with in your um, shorts? Uh, yeah, just sort of things that um, I've liked. Uh, I've dealt some dark fantasy um, or just sort of general fantasy that's not. No, it's all a bit dark. But yeah, fantasy. I've tried a little bit of science fiction. Um, oh. all, all speculative, generally speaking, because that's the sort of stuff I like. But talking about themes, yeah, I usually try to have characters that sort of resonate with me, you know, generally speaking. Uh, street level stuff like i said before ordinary people wait when you say street level what do you mean um when i say human stuff yeah human stuff when i say street level stuff i mean usually not sort of like a cloistered sort of academic professor or someone of sort of grave sort of significance or like an ivory tower-esque type thing but yeah normal everyday people and how these themes sort of come into you know the sort of area and sort of milieu of just sort of like normal people why short stories you know i they might be my favorite form Uh, i just really love them um cool it's also what i started with so that's probably you know and it's i i find it sort of really it's hard to do sometimes sort of like have a full sort of narrative and story and you know however many words 
But, you know, to me, I think horror is sort of best served the best in the short form. And also because I'm probably afraid to write anything longer so far. So when I've written I something know. longer. I think it's harder to write shorter stories in horror. You think to, so? To, to get that point and to get that that feeling and that that antagonism and that like claustrophobia in a short story. It's really difficult. Me and Brett have both lately have been like, yeah. no, we're going to write longer stuff because it is easier to decant that horror through a, lo- a longer um, a longer medium. But short stories are an art. And every single time someone comes on here and I'm just like, it's hard. It just gets longer every time. It's like drabbles, hard, short stories, hard, flash fiction, hard. I'm like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's all hard until you get to write something a bit longer and then you're like, I can breathe now. Timaeus. Yes. Bloom. Yes. Tell us um, where we can find your work. Like where uh, we can find you on, on social media. Where uh, are you, Tim? Yes. Um, I'm here right at my computer right now. But you can find me on X, I guess, as long as I'm there, uh, at um, of underscore... Uh, Icker or Icor, people say it differently. Um, but I am there uh, for oh, now. Uh, I C H O R. You can find me there. You know, um, that's pretty much where I am, unless you, you know see me walking down the street. <laughs> so that's where you, you want threads. Are you, you on Blue Sky? No, I have not been given an invitation. Have you? Are you on Facebook? No. Only on X. It's going to give it to you. And you can find me on Discord if you know. If you know where to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Ellen, We're in play house. us out. Okay, thank you very much for listening. We were the Cutthroat Queens, and you are welcome. Waking Woo! up in a bath of ice. I'm a victim of an organized you. Time you're never gonna get it But you already stole